Good morning and happy Sunday. Welcome to our January 19th, 2020 service from La Jolla Presbyterian Church. Reverend Dr. Paul Cunningham is preaching this week, and it's the second week of the new winter sermon series titled Gospel Glimpses, a look at typology, people, events, or places in the Old Testament that offer us a type or pattern of the Messiah who is to come. This morning we're talking about Abraham and his son Isaac, and Paul's sermon is titled God Will Provide. It's a look at Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. God commands Abraham to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. This seems not only overwhelming, but just completely unfair and unkind. How could a merciful God ask for such a thing? If you'd like to connect with our church, you can find our website at ljpress.org. We hope to see lives transformed by our relationship with Jesus, and we strive to be a place where you experience and are able to express that transforming love of Christ. And now here's Paul with God Will Provide. Well, we are moving our way through a new sermon series that I started last Sunday called Gospel Glimpses, uh, where we are looking for Jesus in the Old Testament, whether in conversations or whether in events or whether in people. Um, where do we find the, uh, the, what the technical word is the typology of Jesus um, as the Messiah who is to come and to save us, but we get glimpses of him in the Old Testament. So when I told my wife what I was preaching on for the text on this Sunday, her response to me was this, that is a terrible text. Um, so if you have actually looked ahead to see what it is that I'm preaching on in a few minutes, uh, I would agree with her. Genesis 22 is uh, not a great text of scripture to try and pull something out of, but I'm also the preacher. I, I really don't have an excuse. I mean, I created this sermon series. I don't use the lectionary. I grabbed the text. I said, this sounds like a good text to preach from. I could have had Scott preach from it, which probably been a better idea. <laughs> um, but I was like, no, I got to own this. This is uh, part, of, uh, part of something that's very important of when we look at the life of Jesus and we particularly look at the Old Testament, uh, we see events that prepare us for the arrival of the Messiah. And, um, and it's a, it's a, when we get to this text, it, it's interesting to me that it, there's, there is no sentimentality in the text whatsoever, uh, which is strange for a text that where God comes along and says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your only son, Isaac. So if you're wondering what the text is, that's the text we're going to be looking at in, in just a couple of minutes. But the language around the text is, is so economical. I mean, it's just kind of here's the details. Here's what's going on. There's no emotion. You read this story and it's hard to imagine that God would ask something like this. And so we kind of want to talk a little bit um, about that. And, and, and what we really want to kind of focus in on is this idea of trust. And, and how do we trust in God when we look around and we see no humanly discernible future? Like when, when, we, when we look at events or we look at things that are happening around us, and from a human's perspective, we see no discernible way. We see that there is no way out or a way out of no way. And, and I was thinking about this theme, particularly on this weekend of uh, remembering the birth of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And wondering how many times 
Martin Luther King wondered, Lord, how are we going to find a way? There seems to be no humanly discernible way out of the place where we are. And and, and not just in the issue around civil rights, of which he was tremendous with that and and the change that he brought, but if you read a lot of the history of, of Dr. King, and I've not read a lot, but I've read some, towards the end of his life, though, he began to move from just talking around issues of racial reconciliation to systemic issues within our own government and our own nation. Calling people to task, uh, looking at the, the, the war that we were involved in and asking the question of, do we really need this military might? Looking at the plight of the economically disadvantaged, not, not just based on race, but just based on systems that existed in our country of saying, this simply is not right. And we need to discern a way to work our way through this. And so more than just the protests of which we often see or hear about, there was this deeper sense within him of saying, we have got to begin working on other greater issues of injustice that we have not addressed. He went back the afternoon before the evening when he was assassinated and started working on his sermon for Sunday morning. The working title of that sermon was this, Why America May Go to Hell. Wow, that'll get your attention. But the sermon was driving at some of the things I've been talking about, saying, look, if America cannot figure their way out of this, there are going to be deep repercussions. And we sit here in the year 2020, Martin Luther King was calling for a fair labor wage back in 1967. And we sit here today and think through what still needs to be done. How do we still deal with these issues of economic injustice and racial injustice and all the other things and, and find a way through that? I was reading, so I, and I don't know who said this about Martin Luther King. But I love the line because they said, in the midst of all of this, he was always able to preach his way out of gloom. And I thought, that's, that's key right there. How do we preach our way out of gloom? When we look around and we see no humanly discernible future, how do we get ourselves out of that? How do we get to this place where we preach some good news to ourselves, where we remind ourselves that, yes, even in the midst of all this uncertainty, God is still at work. There There may be no humanly discernible way forward, but when God is in the equation, everything changes. And Dr. Martin Luther King understood that. And my hope is that we understand that. And so what we want to do is we want to then set this, this idea in the context of the life of Abraham. So the story of Abram begins back in Genesis chapter 11. His father, Terah, is called from the land of Ur to go to the land of Canaan. And as we've talked about before, something happens along the way. They make their way to Haran and they stop. This is something we often miss in Genesis 11. It was actually Terah, the father of Abraham, who was given the charge to go and make it to the land of Canaan. And he settles in Haran. And I've asked the question of how often do we settle in our own faith? That God says, I have this incredible promise for you. 
You've got to keep going. You've got to keep on the path. You have to keep making the journey. And we settle short of the promised land. So Terah didn't make it happen. So God then shows up to Abram in in chapter 12 of Genesis and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your friends. I want you to take your stuff, your wife, Sarah, and your nephew, Lot. And I want you guys to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And what does Abraham do? Okay, here I am. And he begins this journey. And God continues along the way to remind him of a couple things. One of them being, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. You're going to have all these descendants. You're going to have all these people who, who, you know, who consider you as their father and Sarah as your mother. And all these great promises that God gives to Abraham about having an inheritance and having a legacy and having a family. But there's one problem. Sarah is unable to get pregnant. And they keep getting older and older and older and older and older. And God keeps saying, I got a promise for you. You're going to be a great nation. Look up in the sky. You're going to have this many descendants with like all the stars of the sky. I'm going to make a great promise. You're going to be a great nation. And after a while, you think Abraham and Sarah are like, well, let's make that happen, right? But, but then they get older. So it's fascinating to me that we get to Genesis chapter 17, verse 17, a little bit before the text we're going to look at. God has once again delivered this great news to Abraham that you're going to have many descendants. You're going to be a great nation. He's like, your wife, Sarah, is going to have a baby. And this is Genesis 17, verse 17, after God gets done speaking. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? And will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? He doesn't fall down prostrate in order to worship God. He falls down laughing, thinking to himself, this is humanly impossible. There is no way through this. Well, then the story goes, and you may recall that there's these three visitors who visit Abraham. I don't have time to deal with that this morning. Uh, They're having this conversation with Abraham. Sarah's listening in on the conversation. She hears the promise that she's going to have a baby. She thinks that's absolutely crazy. Then they, they, they end up leaving and God shows up and has this conversation with Abraham. This is verse 13 of Genesis 18. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Because what does Sarah do? She's listening and she hears this conversation that she's going to get pregnant. She laughs because it makes absolutely no sense. Why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah's just kind of chuckling. And then, then God goes to Sarah and says basically the same thing. Sarah was afraid, and so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Because he's God. And God's like, why are you laughing? Well, why do you think she's laughing? This is preposterous. This idea of her conceiving and having a child does not make any rational sense. It does not make human sense. But in in the economy of God, things are always different. And so the child is born. She does conceive. She does have a child. And they name the child Isaac, which means what? Laughter. Literally, his name is in response to their own reactions. 
to what had happened with God. This is the promised child. This is the one who will help carry on the legacy so that Abraham can become a blessing in order to bless others. Well, that's great, and that's wonderful, and that's something worthy of celebrating. And then we get to Genesis 22. Here's what we read, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and Abraham again, he, he always loves to say this. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up, saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not only withheld from me your son, your only son, because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So one of the things that's a struggle to understand in this story is, is really contextually thinking through it. We have this tendency, all of us, that you know whatever it is that we're reading or whatever our experience is today, to, to look at all, all, everything else that we hear through that context. So it's very difficult to imagine a context from 4,000 years ago, back in the times when they did actually sacrifice babies, back in the time where some of these things that we're reading about were occurring in regular basis amongst, amongst the people. But, but I think for us to understand context, it really matters. Um, so I, I don't know, I had this weird flashback earlier this week to uh, the 1980s, like the, you know, I was a child of kind of the 80s and, and maybe I was listening to some 80s music. I'm not really sure why I had this, but I all of a sudden had this memory of my parents bringing home this box, my dad bringing home this box that was probably this big by this big by about this big. And it was a video cassette recorder. 
a VCR, right? And some of you may have had these. And, and my parents were kind of early adapters of, of, of that kind of technology. So, you know, we got it all hooked up to the TV. And, and then you actually had to go and rent a movie, you know, like pay money and have a credit card there on account and, and go through and see all the movies that were really old. But, you, you know, you had a VCR, so you just had to use it. And, and, and you know, so we watched all these movies. And I was thinking about that, of trying to figure out how I would explain that to my children when they can just go to their phone and hit Disney plus, right. Or hit Netflix. And all of a sudden everything's on the, they don't need a TV. They don't need a computer. They don't need any of that sort of stuff. And, and trying to contextually get them to understand that in the early 1980s to own a VCR was a really big deal. Like contextually, it was pretty cool. And they would be big whoop. I mean, how many of y'all still have a VCR tucked away somewhere in your house, right? Oh, a lot of, I think I have one somewhere in my house too. I'm guessing no one has a Betamax though, right? Like that's uh, you know, and, and my kids have no idea what a Betamax is. Like they wouldn't even understand that concept. But contextually, like what we had in the eighties, we could never imagine where we are today. And my kids can't really imagine where we were 40 years ago. Well, now we're going back 4,000 years. And, and, and like I said, I, I, am, I am not going to be able to kind of theologically work my way through this in the sense that you're going to be like, oh, I'm totally comfortable with your sermon now, Paul. Okay. Um, I laughed after first service. Several people said, that was a great sermon. And I was like, did you really listen to my sermon? Because it, it was maybe 30% great, but a lot of it was kind of dark and gloomy. So uh, anyway, but, but in the time of Abraham, and this is important. The firstborn son of any Jewish family belonged to God. It's an Old Testament idea. We, we don't think about it today. But in the Old Testament, if you think back to the story of the Exodus, when God wipes out the, the firstborn kids and the firstborn animals of the people of Egypt in order to take the people of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, he says to every Jewish family, you are to sacrifice a lamb, take the blood of the lamb, and place it around the doorposts of your house. In doing that, God says, I will pass over your house and your firstborn son will live. When they get out and they start making their way to the promised land in Exodus, I think it's 16, uh, God says to Moses, I want you to consecrate the firstborn son of every family. Set them apart for my purposes. Because God's relationship and whether we buy into this or like it or whatever, that's not the point, is the firstborn son belongs to me. I have the right to determine what will happen with the firstborn son. So when you keep reading into the, in, in past the Exodus and we get to the, 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 the story of the, or when we read through Genesis and we get to the story of the 12 tribes of Israel, there is the tribe of the Levites, of whom God says, this tribe serves as what belongs to me. I will no longer be requiring the firstborn son as set apart for me. I will take the entire tribe of the Levites and they will serve me. They're the ones who led Israel in worship. And so God consecrates them differently than the rest of the tribes because God says they belong to me. So as Abraham is hearing this, his deeper understanding 
is that Isaac ultimately belongs to God. He was a gift from God and that he belongs to God. Now, the faith of Abraham is one that is truly inspirational and aspirational. Now, what's interesting to me is the story that is told of Abraham. It's it's told very simply, and it's it's very discouraging. But what I find fascinating are the things that the author decides to include about Abraham. Did you notice how the word woke up in the morning is modified? He didn't get up simply in the morning. When did he get up? Early in the morning. God shows up. God says to him, hey, here's what I want you to do with Isaac. I want you to take care of him. I want you to go over here. I want you to do this. And Abraham's like, all right, I'm getting up early in the morning. Not only does he get up early in the morning, what else does he decide to do? He decides to go and get the donkey ready so that the donkey is ready for the journey. He cuts all the firewood that is needed for the sacrifice. All this is happening early in the morning. Had this been me, I would have woken up in the morning and pulled the covers over my head and hit the snooze button all day long because I would want nothing to do with that. But Abraham has this kind of faith where he believes that God will provide. He knows that he's going to come back with Isaac. He has that kind of faith. And he has that kind of faith because he looks to God and no one else. He knows that the issue that is in front of him cannot be solved by humans. Only God can do something. If we were thinking in New Testament language, we'd be looking at the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul uses the image of baptism, of saying that if you believe this Jesus, you are to be baptized into death. Remember, it's this, it's this terrible text. We die to ourselves and we are raised to new life in Jesus Christ. We give up everything earthly for the sake of Jesus. We don't say that very often at baptisms. But that is what's happening in a baptism. You're dying to all of this stuff. And you're saying, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you ask me to do. And this is who Abraham was. This is the essence. This is the core of who he is. All right. So they load up the donkey. Isaac starts to carry the wood and they start to walk. Does anybody wonder what was said during those three days? Notice it was three days. It's not like this was a 30-minute trip to Mount Moriah. For three days, Isaac and a couple of servants and Abraham are walking. The only thing we're told is at some point, Isaac was pretty sharp because he looked around and he said, you got the fire, you got the wood, but where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide. But what was happening? Here's what I like to that. I don't know. But here's what I like to think. Abraham had a couple of days to share the faithfulness of God with Isaac. To be able to walk alongside Isaac and say, you know what? Both your mom and I laughed 
when God told us we would have a child. But God gave us a child. God has continued to keep his promises. And as they're making their way, I, I think it's really interesting that, that I think what I like to think is there was some intentionality by Abraham to teach the faith to Isaac. To remind him of God's goodness and God's grace. Because you know what? That's the only way that I can imagine that when Abraham decided to bind Isaac, that Isaac did not resist. There's nothing mentioned that he resisted at all. Because the faith that his dad had was the faith that he had. He trusted that God would make a way. So I want to diverge on that for just a, just a minute or two to think through what are the conversations that we have with our kids or our grandkids that so often we're going someplace. But oftentimes what really matters are the conversations that happen along the way. So often that's what you see Jesus doing. He's going someplace, but he's always got time. Are our conversations such that they're benefiting others? Now, I'm going to use an an example of how not to have a conversation, okay? And this is the New Testament. It's the disciples. It's easy to poke fun at the disciples because, you know, this is something we can do because they never quite got it right. Kind of like we never quite get it right. But anyway, Mark chapter 9, Jesus has been up to the Mount of Transfiguration. God has spoken. Christ has been transfigured. Peter, James, and John are there. God says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. They don't always do a great job of listening to him. They come back down off the mountaintop. The other disciples are running around trying to heal this kid that they can't heal. Jesus heals the kid. They start walking and making their way to Capernaum. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to die. Second time he says, I'm going to die. They don't quite understand that. They're not really paying attention to it. Because guess what they are doing? Guess the conversation they're having. This is Mark chapter 9. Verse uh, 33 and 34. They came to Capernaum. So they've walked from the mountaintop down off the mountain and they've made their way to Capernaum. When Jesus was in the house, he asked the disciples, what were you arguing about on the road? What were you discussing on the road? Because Jesus, this is a trick question, right? Because he knows exactly what they've been discussing. Because verse 34, he tells them, well, he tells, well, Luke tells, Mark tells us, but they kept quiet Because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Lord, you've just been transfigured. You've just told us you're going to die in Jerusalem. You just healed this kid. So what are we going to do about that? We're going to argue amongst ourselves. We're going to waste the time on the road talking about things that don't matter. So I think about how the conversation went the three days after the almost sacrifice of Isaac. Because they had to go back three days to where they were from. And the provision that God had provided and the stories that they were able to tell and the meaningful conversations they had on the way back. And I think for us, it's just important to think through Where we're on the way, 
what sorts of conversations do we have? Because for Abraham, what had happened was he had received his son back. The one who he thought was being asked to be sacrificed was given back to him. Because in that moment, we read the angel of the Lord speaks to Abraham a second time. I want to read that. This is Genesis 22, verses 15 through 18. It's kind of the rest of the story. It says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, Now listen to this language. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Verse 16 is key because the question is, who is this angel? Who is this angel that is speaking? And verse 16 makes it very clear, this is no ordinary angel. No angel ever says, I swear by myself. This, my friends, is the voice of Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one that gets to say something like that. Jesus is the one who comes along and he stops the sacrifice of Isaac because he knows that one day he himself will become the sacrifice. There is a ram, there is a lamb of God provided in the thicket, but Jesus knows that one day he will become, as John the Baptist said, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus comes along as the mediator and says, stop. Because one day he will be the mediator between God and us. He will bear the judgment. He will take the sword. He won't carry the wood that Isaac carried, but he will carry a cross to a different mountain and he will give his life so that we might have the abundant life. He becomes the one who mediates all of this on our behalf so that we might have faith and we might have life. So my question for you today revolves around this idea of what Abraham called that place. He named it Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. Where in your life are you having a hard time believing that? Have you been like Abraham's father, Terah, who simply settled? Was given the vision to go to the promised land. And he got to Haran and he settled. Perhaps you look at yourself and you just, you can't help but laugh at how ridiculous life seems to have become. Whether laughter of tears, laughter of whatever it is. Do you believe 
that the Lord will provide. Because that's what Scripture says to us time and time and time again. It's not always going to be easy, going to be easy. But the promise is the Lord will provide. I love the idea around Martin Luther King, this concept of saying he was able to preach the gloom away. And sometimes I think for ourselves, we need to do that as well. Because it's easy to get caught up in the darkness and the disparity and the, the difficulty. But to be able to preach the gloom away, we can do. Because we do have a mediator. We do have the one who said to Abraham, stop. I will become the sacrifice. I will give my life. And so may we trust in this God who not only has redeemed us, but has given us the person of Jesus Christ, who brings our salvation. Pray with me, please. God, for this morning, we thank you for the chance to be together. Lord, to take a look at a difficult text. But to see in this text, Lord, the, the, the bigger thing that's going on here is the idea of, God, that you do provide. Abraham knew that. He said, God will provide. God's going to take care of it. Lord, may we have the faith to believe that. No matter where we find ourselves, give us just a little bit more faith so we can truly believe that, God, in all things, you do provide. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for listening. Growth groups are starting back up. Growth groups are a great way to get connected, build friendships, and grow spiritually. As we launch into a new sermon series on Jesus in the Old Testament, please consider signing up for one of our open groups at ljpress.org group. Or you can contact Erica Hill at ericah at ljpress.org. We're also launching a new Sunday school class at 10 a.m. It meets in room LC4. Join us as renowned neurosurgeon and Christian author of the book Gray Matter, Dr. David Levy, teaches on the emotional life of David. We will examine David's walk with God, his successes, his failures, and his growth. Contact Alyssa Thomas at alyssat at ljpress.org for more information. Finally, we're hosting a one-day parenting conference this coming Saturday, January 25th. We're thrilled to be hosting national speakers Jim and Lynn Jackson for a special one-day parenting conference. We promise it will be a day that will transform your parenting and give you practical tools to parent in a way that connects you with your kids. Grandparents are also welcome. Breakfast and lunch will be served and childcare is available. You can sign up online at ljpress.events parenting. You can find a complete listing of what's going on around in La Jolla Press on our website at ljpress.org. That's ljpres.org or call the church office at 858 454 0713. We hope you have a wonderful week full of many blessings, and we hope to see you soon. Mm-hmm.